Jordan Roth is a Tony Award-winning producer and has established himself as a theater innovator, style influencer, and talented creator and personality in his own right. Roth is best known as a theater producer who champions shows that push the boundaries of Broadway. You will see another side of Jordan that expresses his creativity and hear all about it in this podcast. It is my pleasure to present Jordan Roth. Thank you very much, Jordan. I'm so thrilled that you're here. I'm so happy to be with you. I am a huge fan for many reasons. You're an extremely talented human being. You do so much for theater. It's just overwhelming to even list everything, and we will in the information prior <laughs> to this. But I really, what I want to focus on is you. First of all, you have the most wonderful husband. Thank you. And I agree. what makes people strong are the support system they have and their partners, and he is just an incredible person. So Thank congratulations you. on that one. He We're is, lucky. He is, yeah. a, he is a total love yeah. and um, makes me know what it is to have someone in your corner and be in someone else's mm, corner. Yeah, really, really important. The reason I really wanted to interview you was there is a powerful shift going on in fashion. And since this is my 51st year. Is that true? Oh, my God. Wow. It's so true. That's so extraordinary. Yeah. Congratulations. So I have seen a few All things come and go. And... One of the things that I think is the most major shift in fashion since the 70s, but from a zeitgeist point of view, not a trend point of view, is the fact that gender is becoming less and less the way people see fashion. And I was fortunate to have just a little reminder that that's really where my soul is. In the 70s, my customer was not specific by any gender, and it was such a creative time. All of my friends were wearing my clothes, Mm. and they were gorgeous and looked amazing and enjoyed the process, enjoyed creativity. And now we're coming to a time, and I really believe It's because the 70s ended with AIDS stopping the creativity, creating fear and anxiety about expression. And I think that the memory of that exists, but not personally to a good part of the population. And so there's an open acceptedness in the society now to allow gender to be fluid. And I really think those two words are appropriate. I finally feel comfortable with them because fluid is really what we want. Mm. We're feminine, masculine, different ways throughout a day, never Mm. mind a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So there are a few people that I've been following who are pioneers, really taking a stand and expressing creativity, not just in what they do, which is what you do, but expressing it personally from the soul. And it is such a powerful thing to see. And there are a couple of really stellar examples of this. And you have taken it and made it even more unique. And I'm taking a long time in this intro because I want people to understand the way I'm seeing it from a historical perspective. And what you do has a lot of levels of influence. One is you're a creative person, and this is a very comfortable expression for you, clearly, on every level. Number two, the gender fluid is so natural to you, and now you're expressing it, and it's just a beautiful thing to see. But number three is even more intellectual. There was a 
period of time in the fashion industry through the 60s, 50s, 50s, 60s, 70s, where the socialite was the fashionable woman. She really understood high-level fashion. She understood fine quality. She understood and very often collaborated with designers. So I was very friendly with Bunny Mellon, and she and Givenchy used to create together, and she even gave me some things. And I see you, and you exemplify that in the most modern way that it just fills me with joy to see what you do. Now, I'm going to... Can't wait to hear. This is literally going to be making me cry right no, now. But, but this is what you're doing. And I think part of it's intuitive. Part of it is just your joy. But there's a sense in you that this is what you should be doing. This is who you yes. are and what you should be doing. And it is so great that you are. The ability to have this sense of, design and expression comes from where? What in you? What were your influences growing up? What, why is this something that's so natural for you? Um, okay, first of all, I have to pull myself together from that extraordinary introduction because I, I think really the gift that we can all offer each other is um, seeing each other and that you see who I am on such a clear and informed, I mean that not in a clinical sense, but in a kind of bringing all of you to that gift is very moving. So well, where does it come sure. from yeah, is the so question. Where? You know, I don't know that I have an extraordinary answer to that other than this has always been me. And I think a lifetime heretofore of varying degrees of that being okay to express, okay to myself, okay to others. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a great sense in which that which is in us that gets compressed or restricted or bound in some way, if it can ultimately express itself, emerge, it will with some serious gusto because that's the only way it came out in the first place. Mm -hmm. So I do feel a certain energy, a certain um, velocity to what's happening for me, and I know that's because it couldn't always be so. But I do think it was always there. You know, it's funny. I, I had a long period in my early adult life of a very specific uniform that was calculated for a very specific purpose. Mm -hmm. I was uh, 21, I had just graduated college, I had just come back to the city, I was producing my first show. I was very young to be doing what I was doing professionally. And everybody who worked with me and for me was much older than me and mm -hmm. much more experienced than me. And I, I kind of instinctively took on this uniform mm -hmm. to project authority, yeah. power, Calm, perhaps, and it was a black, gray, or blue Prada suit and a white Prada shirt untucked, and the untucked was my one gesture to I'm not a banker, <laughs> and those black Prada sneaker right. shoes, right. and my hair was buzz cut, crop, mm -hmm. crop, crop. And that really served me well until it didn't. But I didn't realize that it wasn't serving me well until far after. And finally, as I emerged from that period, and partly what I think allowed me to emerge from that period was a sense of confidence in my professional life, that I didn't have mm -hmm. to explain myself or prove myself or justify myself and my position mm -hmm. in my professional life. So I could just sort of be me and the fact that I was doing it would make it okay as opposed to, well, nobody does that, right. so not okay. Mm. So, so that actually makes me, me have great respect for the 15-year-old you know, kids who are expressing themselves 
in ways that are outside the norm mm -hmm. for whatever that means mm -hmm. in their community because I really grew into myself. Yeah. So as I started to, I'm going to say, return to myself, a dear friend from college sent me this picture of me in college with two of our other friends, and I was wearing this Gautier mesh trompe l'oeil shirt. Remember those? <laughs> and this silver chain, and I forgot. I forgot that this was always who mm -hmm. I was and always what I was doing, and right. I took a, a detour for a variety of protective, self-protective reasons. And I think probably self-actualizing reasons in some way because I was doing something professionally that I was really passionate about and I decided, rightly or wrongly, somewhere probably in the middle, mm -hmm. that this is how I would yeah. find comfort and allow myself to move forward in mm -hmm. that. But I forgot that I was the kid who... You know, when I was in London, I would go to those stalls and find that blue Vintage fake something. fur right. cookie monster yeah. coat <laughs> that, like, disintegrated right. on third wearing. <laughs> right. And those, you know, bowy, chunky heels with the silver stars. And that's what I was doing. Yeah. And I was the kid who was going to house parties at Princeton in drag. But, you know, always refined, mm -hmm. always, always intellectual, in good taste, in good taste. <laughs> or if it was in bad taste, it was purposely you, academically yeah. bad taste. Um, so what, let's talk about the taste, because yeah. that, see, that's your thing. It's really extraordinary. And I love the collaborations you do. It's. See, all of these women, I've actually met them mm. because I'm 100. And so I've met all these great women, Gloria Vanderbilt. And aren't you like, they so knew what taste was. It was so intrinsic to everything they did. And so their collaborations with designers were amazing. And that's really what elevated that class of dressing. Yeah. And so you're the first person who is understanding what that is and is bringing it, not bringing it back, but reinventing it in such a way that I just, I, I every time you do it, I think, I of him. Oh my God, what I love you. Is he I'm doing? literally putting this on a business card. If I carry a business <laughs> card, that would be on it. So that really is your taste that that you understood even at Princeton that it was it had to be elegant. It had to be in the best taste. It couldn't just be raw. The raw isn't enough. But yeah, it has an edge to it, but it's not enough. Yeah. And I want to know, like, how do you intuitively get the taste thing? Everything you're wearing right now, it's not even about gender. It's you, you rise above that whole conversation, which I love, but you take it to another level by adding that taste thing. So was there a socialite or women or people that you thought had something and really sort of by osmosis understood that that was you? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I think, well, okay, so there, I think there's, you've given us so much to chew on in that. Well, I think, so first of all, what I think you're pointing us to is we are talking about fashion and expression through clothing and art in the same breath. Yeah. And that passion for artistic rigor, which is something that has always been inside me and my goal, fascination, interest, joy, both an academic rigor and an artistic rigor. And as that comes out of my mouth, I am not entirely sure that those are distinct. Mm. I think we probably, another false binary, I don't actually think of it as a non-binary, I think false binary between the academic and the artistic, mm -hmm. the intellectual and the creative, they yeah, are, um, 
you know, the very similar pursuits. But I think the, another place you're pointing us to is when you say kind of sitting above, rising above the just gendered conversation is really it is a pursuit of beauty, mm-hmm. which is, it is all of ours to strive for, to reach towards, to ascend to. What are you trying to be, a man or a woman? No. 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 Trying to be beautiful. And authentic. And the beautiful is as I yes. see it, yes. as I feel yes. it. And that reach, the process of reaching for beauty is, I think, the definition of the artistic impulse, mm-hmm. right? Whether you're designing clothes or whether you're sculpting or whether you're an architect or playwright. Mm. You are reaching, reaching, reaching for some kind of beauty as you see it that has meaning. Mm -hmm. And I think that that has meaning is what makes it art. Yeah, it makes it art. As opposed to decoration. Decoration can be beautiful, but not art. Mm -hmm. Beauty with meaning, purpose, rigor, intent Mm -hmm. is reaching for art. And it makes it timeless. It makes it a work of art forever. Yeah. That really becomes that special, that yeah. very special thing. Yeah. And so I think a lot of what I'm doing is kind of synthesizing pieces of me that I thought perhaps distinct, but actually are all kind of coalescing in what's happening in me and for me now. Because, of course, my life has been all about the theater yeah. and performance. Now, performance is somewhat of a loaded word, right? Because we often think performance implies artifice, which implies fraudulence. Right, right. Right? You're just performing. Yes. Right. And I actually look at it the exact opposite. You're so smart. Uh, <laughs> You're so, so right. So right. So to me, performance is a manifestation of our fantasy, mm-hmm. and our fantasy is the most revealing of our trueness, yeah. of our realness, mm-hmm. of our truth. And when we think about, you know, in the theater, what's the highest compliment that theater people give to theater people is, that was true. Yeah. That got to truth. What you were trying, what you, you found the truth mm-hmm. up there. Now, you're standing on a stage with rows of people in the dark, with a big box around you, with lights on you, everything tells us that this is performance. This is not quote-unquote real. And yet, it is performance whose point is to get us to something real, Mm -hmm. more real than we could get in real life. life. And so those ideas, how I've been thinking about performance And what is performance for my whole life in the theater has really come to bear for me in the last few years as I start to understand every day as an opportunity for the performance of self, which is to say a deliberate, thoughtful, Mm -hmm. artistically rigorous, emotionally rigorous Mm -hmm. expression of we are. And the joy of that is you can do it every day, maybe two or three times a day, frankly. Um, (laughs) Because I know I have a couple of changes some days, and I'm sure you do too. Um, And it's an extraordinary opportunity to mine who we are and who we want to be and what the wanting to be reveals about who we are. Now, reveal to who? On some level, mm-hmm. yes, of course, fashion is an outward expression. Mm-hmm. It is for you to see what I am expressing of myself. But the most powerful for me is it's actually an inward expression. It is an opportunity to express to myself. Your authentic self. Correct. Yeah. That is the best part of it. And it is also, yeah. in many ways, a real cue of how we can feel physically and then emotionally, mm-hmm. I'm a person who is very sensitive to, well, all kinds of stimulus, but certainly clothes, 
speak very loudly to me, to my body, about how they want to be carried mm-hmm. and how they can move. And so the opportunity to look at all the clothes in the world and say that, that, you that piece, yeah. put it on, and now it speaks to my body about mm-hmm. how I will live in it. Mm-hmm. And that physical life then speaks to my heart and unlock something for me. Sometimes it's a kind of specific emotional state. Sometimes it's just a kind of state of beauty. And sometimes, to get us full circle to where you ended this question, sometimes it is a, um, an understanding of a reference, a sort of conjuring of a memory. Mm-hmm. And yes, the swans are very powerful mm-hmm. in my aesthetic brain mm-hmm. and heart right now. And I think, you know, part of the joy and also sometimes pain of being human is we are these sort of magnets of memory and shards of information. And it's part of why I think we have to be so gentle with each other. Kindness is a good thing. Um, But whether we're conscious of it or not, we take in these visual cues, these stories, these snippets, these little, I mean, imagine... Kind of like, you know, going through life, flipping through magazines, except whether you're actually doing it and clipping them out and putting them on mm-hmm. your bedroom wall as a 12-year-old, or it's just sort of happening in your brain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, growing up, I had a lot of that kind of stimulus and inspiration of art and my, I would travel with my family to extraordinary places and even just come to the city and have a day. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, you know, you were talking about Trump Tower, which is right near here and, of course, represents something entirely different than it did when it was yeah. built, although possibly not, and we all just missed it. But, you know, I would come into the city as a 10-year-old and my greatest fascination was to wander Asprey, Trump Tower, and just look Fascinating. at all those textures mm-hmm. and colors and stone and you remember those eggs they used to have? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, absolutely. And it's like not like I could or would have ever gotten any of it. It's just to see it. Yeah. And I think all of that is kind of coming to bear mm-hmm. on how I express myself Um, and the references that I conjure Mm -hmm. and that touch me in some way that then allow, that spark joy Mm. um, or spark meaning. So do you think you would have been a designer if you just would have wandered off in your own? Do you think you would have? So that was was a real fantasy. I actually have very clear memories. Really? Yeah, very clear memories of... Sketching dresses for my mother. No. Absolutely. No, I love it. So I have two, two clear memories on this. One was, you know, this must have been like eight, nine, ten. Really? And I had this colored pencil set, and I got this sketch of a body that I would then put my right. paper on, on top, top of and sketch on. And I remember I was very, um, I was not a free force then everything, everything scared me. Then. Really? And I can remember being very deliberate mm-hmm. with my pencil line so that it would be perfect and exactly as was. I'm Scorpio. Are you really? Um, mm. And, um, you know, perfection. Perfection is perfection, very Scorpio. Perfection yeah. was a thing. Still is a thing. Mm-hmm. But I think I, I hope I'm less tortured by it and able to be more free in my expression. I think, um, I think we got that one down. <laughs> I think you got it down, and I think the perfection is there, too, because the level of detail and the, the work that you've been doing. Tell me about the collaborations. Yeah. So take any one that you want to talk about and how it came about and what the process was, because clearly you could have been a designer, for sure. I mean, that's evident. But now I think it's even better, actually, because you have power in your 
whole being, you know who you are, you have a thriving artistic business, um, and you can use all of that in a collaboration in a way that I think is even more powerful than just the designer part of it. So give us one or two or three or four or whatever, I mean, of some of some of the, the great experiences you must have had in these collaborations. Sure. It is great joy for me. So, for instance, the last Met. Uh, love. <laughs> I loved you. I loved that we were standing together because everybody thought I was wearing leather and I was freaking everybody out and I wasn't wearing a ball gown. Uh-huh. And then you come in in Tom Brown looking freaking amazing and i thought oh thank god oh i love that here i I met the meant the met ball oh the met ball i thought you were talking about the ballet yeah well that was good too that was i just have to reflect on that because that was perfection but the met ball was beyond perfection you were the best you were the best oh my the best that is highest praise by far it was Subtle, elegant, and extraordinary at the same time. So that, that collaboration with Iris and Herpin um, awesome. started many months before um, and really started with, I kind of sent her a brief of the things I was thinking about. And there were two main things. One was what we were talking a little bit before about performance and the idea of the yes. proscenium and the curtain. Mm as defining performance, and kind of that's it. So if you put a proscenium on the street, you would define performance. The people passing by would become performance because you basically put a frame around them that says, look here, look here, Mm. is the point of a frame around the painting and is the point of a proscenium around Mm. a stage. And I, I mean, from my early, my, the, first show I did was called The Donkey Show, and it was all about this experiential performance in a nightclub. And so my whole theater life, I have been thinking about what is performance and what are the lines of performance and reality to the extent that they exist. And so the idea of the proscenium as that physical cue Mm -hmm. of performance and the bridge from real life to performance, which actually is simply a bridge of perspective, not actually something inherently different Mm -hmm. about the people in the proscenium. So the idea of proscenium and curtain was a thing I wanted to work with. Backing up for a second, all of this because the theme, of course, was camp, and I naturally (laughs) gravitate to the ideas of performance in camp and the performative So proscenium and curtain. And the other was that I knew that I wanted this piece to be both a performance in itself and about performance. Mm -hmm. And so I sent this email on a Thursday. Iris was, we had not met before, but I knew that she, having just studied and Mm -hmm. mesmerized by her work, I knew that she was wanting to work with on this. And so I sent this email on a Thursday. On a Friday, I was told that she was on vacation, but that she'd get back to me when she was back. And literally, we were Skyping that Monday, and she had digested this and done all this research of different sculptors who what I was talking about resonated for her, their work resonated for her with. And so we had, we sort of dove way down into this kind of emotional and intellectual exploration of these ideas. And also, you know, I think ideas are, are resonant only if they touch who we are emotionally and probably connect to some pain that brings us to some joy. And that's where we went. Mm. And so we had weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of Skype calls back and forth Great. and passing sketches back and Mm -hmm. forth until we got to this piece, which was both a kind of intellectual and artistic feat 
but then became a technological feat of like how would you actually you get that to how would you actually make this fly. happen yeah and both all three of those places are where she is so extraordinary unbelievable um, and we had just the most moving very loving time i wholly reject the notion of that this sort of image we have of the uh, horrible genius right mm. the person who you know we they're just horrible human mm. beings but they're geniuses so we think mm. that's amazing um, and i have been very very fortunate in my collaborations with designers to work with just extraordinary human beings and i feel like their humanness is part of why their artisticness is so great mm. i don't see those again false binary friends and then so and we then the the logistics of it were different pieces would get sent back and forth and oh fit on me while you know the, the atelier was facetiming um, <laughs> oh my God. and then the logistics of the kind of the printing of the photographs and the Unbelievable. technology Beautiful. and geometry Beautiful. of figuring out the <laughs> length and width of each cut so that when it opened on my mm -hmm. dimensions it would fully disappear mm -hmm. and then i went to amsterdam for the final fitting and i literally lost my mind mm -hmm. putting this on for the first time mm -hmm. it was just I, it's spectacular. I yeah. felt like I was levitating. And then, of course, the whole performance of the piece itself in the evening. Yeah. And that's, a, that's an experience where you really understand the confluence of reality and performance and stage and real life because it is all of those things. Mm -hmm. And you have this, particularly with a piece like that, you really have a kind of improvised physical performance choreographed, which isn't to say planned, but it is to say living in the body mm. of this, a perf the performance of this piece. And the piece is mm -hmm. a piece of clothing. Yeah. But again, back to it, that is the level of art. And, and I do think all clothing is experiential. Yes. And every piece of clothing should extend some sort of experience in the way you feel in it, in the way it moves, in the way it expresses who you are. But when you then take it to art, which, so the two of you have a spiritual bond. The thing about the fashion industry is there is such a visceral connection to what we do. Every, it doesn't matter how talented or whatever. I mean, if a real designer I'm talking about there's a visceral connection. Every time any of us do a collection, our soul and our blood and everything is in every piece of clothing we design. So it's so personal. So if you collaborate with someone, and I've done that too, you have a forever spiritual relationship with that from that moment in time. And one of the things I want to share with you, but you probably know this already, so these wonderful women, these special women like Gloria Vanderbilt and Bunny and all of the piles of them, when they had these special pieces, they literally would have rooms for the pieces as if they were pieces of art. Yes. For posterity that you have a responsibility to do and take care of, and I'm assuming you know that, but it is because what you're doing now, not only being a pioneer at a time where I, I think this is very important, but this other level of what you're creating not only will influence other people, and it'll be all gender other people. I think that's what you will be doing, but the reference to how you did it and what you did should be documented. Like what you just said right now, I'm so glad we have on tape, and you should be some in some way, whether it's a book or however you decide to do it, you really must document it because it's a treasure for creative people, for people 
who want to understand experience and how to express it. So, so uh, I'm very that. excited that you seem to understand this sort of responsibility you have in what you're able to do and, and mem memorializing it and really documenting. I love this story. I mean, the detail of it. And the, I understand because of the work of what is involved in that. It's a tireless desire for perfection that really very few industries understand in the way our industry does. Not all of it, but parts of it. And in your industry, too. Both, I think. And it's, it's part of why... You know, it's always, it's always such an extraordinary experience, you know, when you're in a fitting or you're continuing to push on a sketch or in all directions, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes I think, like, oh, are they going to be, like, enough? But no. 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 Yeah. Because, and it's the same thing in a, in a play, right? You're, it's you have to late push. and you've been yeah. doing this for seven years on this piece, but, like, mm, that one there extra thing. Not there yet. Yeah. And that rigor, that rigor, that commitment, that passion, and recognizing it and appreciating it in others mm -hmm. is, I think, is, is a thing that is so moving to me. And I think it is, a, it is an act of generosity mm -hmm. to say, yeah, let's, let's go. Let's go together. It's a shared experience that is it's just so uplifting. I mean, we... All uh, every time we do collections, we're exhilarated, we're joyous, we're and then we we need to do it again. So you have the same thing. It's like this. Oh, I need to do this again. Yes, it How can. Do I not it's do really that addictive. Again? Yeah, very addictive. Well, because also it's it's um you know in the theater you talk about the bug, right? You've been bitten by the theater bug, which really is just a kind of idea. Of and in some cases, this sort of strange idea, which I don't think I've ever thought about before, of this notion that it's an external thing that kind of gloms onto you, as opposed to a thing that emerges from inside yeah. you or that you you activate from within, which I think is what it is. Mm -hmm. um, but it is the sense that once you've tasted that kind of process, and then joy, joy. Is everything. The joy is everything. The mm -hmm. process is everything. Mm -hmm. The journey, overused word, but mm -hmm. meaningful. And the discovery. In some moments. And the discovery. Yeah. yeah, let's use discovery more than journey. The discovery process, the ending up somewhere very different than and, you might yeah. have ever imagined and what that feels like. And then, look, I, whether I'm hitting a carpet or just hitting the street, on a daily basis, if I've activated something inside me, by what I have put outside me on my body. That is a joy, a sort of unabashed joy that is where I want to live. Mm. It's very contagious when you see someone who is feeling joy, which is what I was talking about when we did our shoot. Yeah. And I saw the joy on faces that would just... It, it was just so full of happiness and good feeling. And I was so upset that I didn't just record the whole thing so that everyone could understand what that meant. Yeah. What that meant and how I was just, I, 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 wanted, I wanted to adopt the four of them. I wanted them to be my sons. I wanted to just hug them forever to see that, and to see a world where there is very little joy right now. And we need to share this more. We need kindness and joy that the more of this we can share, the better. I have a so this is why I love Instagram. Yes. Is because yes. I have been sharing everything I'm doing. And the feedback loop, what people are getting from that and sharing, reflecting back to me, which feeds me, which helps me share more, which right, gets fed right, back right. to them and to me, to them and to me, is this tagion of joy. And what people write back to me is so astounding. I'm what sure. they are able to see in me, but yeah. also what they are able to see in themselves. Yes. 
Yes. And it's not where'd you get those boots. No, it's deep. It's very, it's, very important. It's not I want that coat. It's I want that feeling. And I want that feeling in a way that is of me. Mm -hmm. And if that is what can come from posting a picture or a video, I am so in. So here's something very interesting. What you're talking about, you would think would be a gender conversation about being gender fluid or realizing the span of your expression. But women have less joy than you think they have wearing clothes. They have more insecurities and more apprehensions and less good feeling than they should. And my hope is that when they see you or anyone that they connect to, because everybody is connected to different people, that they can free up what's been controlled in them of how they think they should look. Should they look like Barbie? Should they be desired like Barbie? Or should they look like a very thin, tall model and they're not? Or what should they look like or how they should look? Women have more demons than most people really understand. And my purpose in this lifetime is to try to do whatever I can to help women feel good about themselves. And that purpose is really something that I've understood for a long time. And it's more difficult than you might understand. It is very, very, very deep and very dark. So there's a lot going on in the world. My question to you is, I'm 74, so I've had a little bit more time to discover my purpose. But I had a good idea of what it was for quite some time. What is your purpose in this lifetime? I love this question. And I think partly all of our purpose is to revisit that question over and over and over mm -hmm. again through our lifetimes. I'll tell you where I am at now. Mm -hmm. And it connects to what we were just talking about with that feedback loop mm -hmm. of what I can offer by showing myself and what others can offer to me by seeing me and showing themselves. And it actually was presented to me. I started getting a lot of people in a very short amount of time, very close together, people that I knew, people that I didn't know, people that I knew were following what I was doing, people I had no idea was following, following what I was doing. They all said some version of watching you be you helps me be me. And I thought, that's a reason. Mm -hmm. That's a reason. That's a good one. And again, it's not where do I get those clothes. Mm -hmm. It's how do I access myself? How do I grow into myself? How do I step into my biggest canvas that is mine and only mine, and yours and only yours? Mm -hmm. and I think that for as much as where you started our conversation is true, we are basically a world, this is not a new notion, a world where being yourself is an act of extraordinary audacity. Courage. Sure. Not a thing that we train ourselves for, train our children for, welcome when we see it, even mm -hmm. if we don't understand yeah. it. Yeah. And so any shred, any arm out of permission, of encouragement mm. to be you. And if my being me on some level says to anyone, maybe they could take a step towards being themselves or even thinking about what that would be yeah. if they were uh, able to, that's a purpose. And I think... I have come to understand, I didn't understand this immediately, but I have come to understand that you can't, you can't look at me on a carpet or on the street in some look that I have concocted and not see the journey. Mm -hmm. Because I am 
I'm not that woman. Mm-hmm. And yet, here I am, flying with my big tool shoulders, because <laughs> I love it. So and I it brings think, yeah, me joy. I think one of the reasons I'm wanting to do this, too, is because, first of all, it's bringing me so much joy just seeing this kind of creativity. But I also, because of my purpose, think telling women it's okay to be who you are, be your authentic self, isn't working in the same conversation. But looking at you, the audacity, the courage, the joy that your that path you took, if you can do it, excuse me, ma'am, but like you have to get a grip and see what joy you can have by doing the same thing. And you know these women, you know I'm talking about. They need to be freed, and we don't think of that. We don't think that that's true, but it is so true. And I really hope through this podcast and more conversation like this to help women. I mean, there's a lot of very, very... For sure. And I don't underestimate at all pain that keeps us all where we are and why and why and so i don't there's no part of me that's like snap out of it Mm. because (laughs) i recognize for myself with all of the extraordinary privilege of opportunity and love in my life the daily challenge of showing myself and some days are easier than others And so I understand how painful that is and how unwelcome that can feel. So I I will keep showing myself to Mm -hmm. you and I will keep hoping that you want to show yourself to me. It's a universal conversation. Your conversation is universal for people around the world in different cultures and different situations. And I, I really... I think framing it in a lot of different ways is really good. But I have a great question for you. Tell me. Lay it on me. This is a good big finale question. <laughs> so your wedding was spectacular. It was by far the best tasteful wedding. And weddings can be, you know, out there. Dicey situations. The cake. But everything. I mean, you know I was looking at every detail. Thank you. And so I thought to myself, actually last night, thinking about meeting you and having this conversation, and I thought, if you were getting married now... I think about this all the time! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. He has got to do this. You have to have an anniversary something. I'm sorry, Jordan. You are hysterical. I am so sorry. but this. You are hysterical. I could not love you more. I think all the time. Think about it. About the layers <gasps> of drama that would have been added to the wedding. Well. And what I would wear now. Or There's an what, anniversary what, what, coming, I'm what sure. What five different looks I would wear now over I know. the course of an evening. Jordan, I just want to be sure. It's coming, and you'll be there. I want to know that this is never going to leave your mind until you fulfill this, because all I could think of is, oh, man, this has got to be reenacted or an anniversary. Yeah. What anniversary is coming up? Uh, we are coming up to 10. <gasps> no. Yeah. Well, we've been together 17 years. No, but, but I married, mean, like, I can't 10. believe it's 10. Yeah. <gasps> okay. Mm. I'm just planting. Oh, I'm no, just it's, it's, it's already fully planted. planted. <laughs> it's fully planted. I literally was like. Does I'm, your kind husband know about this? Yes. He, my, oh, I have to tell you. He is the best. Bringing us full circle where you started, mm. my husband is um so is so to talk game. about him a little bit first of all you won't tell i don't like to reveal names or anything unless you want yes to, my but, okay. husband is richie jackson right. um and he has 
just written a book that is coming out in January called Gay Like Me. And it is a letter to our older son, who is gay, about what it is to be a gay man and what it takes to be a gay man in America right now. My husband came to the city in the early 80s to go to NYU just as AIDS was beginning. And he came out and up and into this world that was being decimated mm. from within and from without, from our government, from the world. And it is everything he learned and lost and loved. And it is his gift to our son. And it is, it is the most extraordinary lesson of how to love, how to parent, how to um, forgive yourself, how to see yourself. And that is, um, that is the blessing. When is it coming out? January 28th. January 28th. You can pre-order now. And um, the, the, who's publishing it? HarperCollins. Awesome. That is really yeah. cool. He, he is a terrific man. I mean, I love him. He, is just, he has such great energy, and, and he loves you so much. And he is so, great. to the point, to, to our conversation, he is so not only patient, but so extraordinarily encouraging mm-hmm. and bolstering of this entire fashion adventure. And that would, it would not be possible mm. because, you know, we talk about what we've been talking about of being seen and being welcomed in your fullness. If that doesn't happen in your yeah. home, you have no chance, <laughs> yeah, no. very little chance. And so, you know, when, when our bathroom is overtaken by hair and makeup, <laughs> And, um, you he's, know, he's feathers generous and things. in spirit. He is. <laughs> you look amazing. Just tell me when we're leaving. <laughs> and um, he has literally held me up as I teetered <laughs> on wet travertine in heels. He has, he is the person who um, breaks me out of all of this at the end of the night. Mm. And he is the person who's... Um, Ability to see beauty in me is um, is the one that matters most. Mm. And you have a beautiful baby. Yes, which is so great. Our I baby saw how that baby just took magic. you over completely. He is magic. Yeah. He is magic. He is magic, and he is. Um, you know, raising him is really an opportunity to reinvestigate everything mm. from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, it it definitely is. It's it's a huge responsibility, but we're all human, so you have to figure out a way that you do that. It's it's really wonderful. I love you. I'm so I love you. happy. I'm so you, grateful for this uh, extraordinary you, conversation you, you led us through. I just I feel so good about this. I I really feel your purpose and my purpose are being served here. Agree. Oh, I love. You. <laughs>